The following message is from the 2016 IBCD Summer Institute. Disordered Desires, Bringing Grace to Modern Sexuality. Once you put your child in the public domain, then there is going to be discussion about whether what the child is doing is appropriate or not. The public looking at the image naturally see it in the context of, you know, Still, the backlash from the Haven cover has made Julie think twice. I think it's a good learning curve for everybody in the media, with children, especially like shooting commercial children in swimmers or anything at all, that you have to foresee how it's going to be interpreted. For us, we didn't see it coming. The Haven image is just one tiny tile, if you like, in a broader mosaic of sexualisation of children that's occurring across the board for about the last decade. Thank you for listening to that. It's eight minutes long, and I almost didn't want to waste eight minutes of my very important talk on that, but it sets the stage so vividly for the topic of this and why some of you have come. So I want to thank you for coming. It is a relatively new issue, as she's saying, 10 years, but I would say it's been longer. Um, And I I do want to spend the largest chunk of my time on solutions instead of just detailing the pervasiveness of the problem. But I have counseled uh, children um, from 6 to 18 on a regular basis now since uh, 2000. Um, Before that, as a pastor's wife, informally. But I see this problem. And I'm speaking, I want you to know, under the authority of the board of ABCD. uh, No, let's see. I'm getting all these IBCD. That's ACPC. Okay. I got alphabet problems. Okay. But uh, under their authority and my husband's. But I'm going to be using some scriptures, too, to really give hope in this very difficult issue. Um, your notes, uh, there, are there. I'm not sure what page they're on. Um, 67. 67, thank you. Um, the three main parts are the problem exposed, practical steps to implement, and the gospel solution. So can anybody, oh, can't hear me. Uh, do I have something not high enough? Do I have, is this better? Do I not have it turned on? Not turned on. Let's see. Uh, is it here? Is this where my power is? Um, am I supposed to be holding this? I don't think so. Okay. Find somebody to help. My, nobody told me to press the button. I can raise my voice a little bit. Is that better? Or wait a minute. Is this helping? Oh. It's probably hooked to the camera. Okay. Well, I'll raise my voice <laughs> until this is solved. All right. Uh, hopefully it got recorded. Do they? It is hot, but I didn't realize that I needed to be that close to it. Um, well, I'll just... Does that help? Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Until they fix this, I'll hold on to this. Thank you. I can do two things at one time. I'm a mother. All right. It's a work. Thanks. Um, the problem exposed. Our children learn by imitation, right? So it's not surprising that their desires are becoming as disordered as the adults around them. I'm going to talk about nature and nurture. You've all heard these common terms. I want to start talking about nurture, how this is a part of the problem. Anything that goes into the mind early and often is most likely to stick. When a child is exposed to a tsunami of messages that their worth is in their sexiness, okay, or their appearance, then they'll be prone to think, feel, and act out those messages. See, pretty doesn't mean what it used to. Pretty now means sexy or hot. It's changed. Still still can't hear. Anybody way in the back might need to move up. I'm going to project as much as I can. But wave at me if you can't hear. 
Um, see, we marvel at four-year-olds. They're better? All right. I'll just basically be spitting into here. Okay. Just as we marvel at four-year-olds who can play an instrument as well as most adults, don't you just see those little four-year-olds, protégés, and we go, oh, aren't they amazing? Look what they learned at age four. You know, a young child will crave attention by practicing and accomplishing what their social environment tells them is valuable, right? Well, on the negative side, we shouldn't be shocked that 60 to 70% of our 14-year-old boys are watching porn frequently. I won't tell you how often, we're not sure. But 60 to 70%, okay? Their buddies are shoving their smartphone porn images in their faces. And it takes a courageous kid to walk away all the time. Eventually, that becomes habitual because that's so powerful and pervasive. Deep neural pathways in the brain are formed through repetition. Practice anything, right? Good or bad. And that'll kind of bring a habit. Isn't it? Maybe even a life-dominating habit. These habits start as thoughts and feelings. They develop into actions and then finally into habits. Habits grow into compulsions and, if not replaced, into addictions. Train up a child is a verse we love, isn't it? But it's not just a comfort. It's a threat. It's a threat. Train up a child is a comfort but also a threat. If children are trained intentionally or through their environment to be sexually active, they'll not easily depart from it when they're older, as that verse says. They come to believe that is all they're good for or gifted at doing. A sexually abused child feels ruined forever. A promiscuous teen thinks they'll always be wanted based on sexual prowess. So nurture is huge in this. It's part of the problem, but nature is too. Add the dynamic of nurture, added to the dynamic of nurture, the more influential fact of nature. Now, that I mean, people have been arguing about nature versus nurture for a long time. I'm sort of of the opinion that nature is even bigger. Scripture says that humans are born in Adam, aren't we? We're in Adam. That means we all share a fallen nature. Every human is self-centered without any training or any effort. Now, some people seem naturally kind. Haven't you met people who are naturally kind? But that often is a reflection of seeking the approval of kind people around them. We're naturally self-centered by nature. We are. It's about self. Scripture is replete with references to a sinful nature. So the problem exposed, our children learn by imitation and it's in our nature. But sexual standards have been rapidly dropping as accessibility has dramatically increased. We don't have to argue that point. Devices are everywhere. And if anybody wants to help me, they can. Can y'all hear me in the back? As long as I keep my mic here, right? But if I drop it, this one is not this one is not working. No. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. Oh, that one's recording me. Okay. Well, the person last night didn't need to do this, but okay. Who's comparing? All right. Okay. Let's just go. Um, thanks very much. Sexual standards have been rapidly dropping as accessibility has dramatically increased. Everybody's got a device, multiple devices. When you're trying to wean a kid from them, you have to hide four devices and then hope he doesn't grab his mother's when she falls asleep. Okay, so believe me, I've counseled cases like this. And then there's soft science. Soft science has replaced the Bible as the source of guidance. You know the difference between soft science and hard science? 
Hard science is empirical. We have undeniable test results. Okay. Soft science is based on behavior. You look at a whole lot of things, as in the DSM-4, and if you have a certain number out of the 15 for a subjective period of time, you get a label. That's soft science. We can hardly call it hard science. But that's replaced the Bible. See, the general culture has succumbed to Freudian theory and Alfred Kinsey's so-called research. And what set the tone for this was the Roman Catholic Church because they taught that sex was only for reproduction. Okay? They did not emphasize sex for bonding as Genesis 1 flesh. It was there. They didn't pay much attention to it. Or Song of Solomon, sex for pleasure. They never heard a talk like we heard this morning from, from Ian. No. It was basically reproduction. So that sets the stage for Freudian theory and Alfred Kinsey. And um, see, people were ill-prepared for the onslaught of Freud's message and others like it. See, Freud said that sex was the core of most of human behaviors and desires. It was the core. And then Kinsey claimed that children were capable of orgasm in infancy. His work should have been disdained as pseudoscience, but instead it has been kept under lock and key for 50 years. Still has not been exposed. People still think of Kinsey as a, a real scientist. He interviewed prisoners, and his own staff experimented on babies. That's the truth. So, sex has become plastic. I wrote the word up there on the board because it's not in my outline. See, now we have plastic sexuality. Thank you, Freud. Thank you, Roman Catholic Church. Thank you, Alfred Kinsey, Havelock Ellis, and many others. See, it's now malleable. Now we can change it to whatever you want. So they call it plastic sex. Um, It used to be that love was till death do us part. But now, love is confluent. Sociologists say that love needs to be thought of as confluent. What do you think confluent is? See, it used to be forever. You make vows till death do us part. The whole separation and divorce culture came out of this confluent love. See, you didn't have to promise forever. It was You're now in a relationship on Facebook. It's just about what relationship you're in. And it might not be all that long. It's a confluent love. All right, it's short-term. Relationships have taken the place of forever. Another thing that has really changed Ignorance of a balanced view of sexual intimacy has been coupled with the rise of the printed page, the internet, and now the affordability of devices. Therefore, any age child can have instant exposure to gratuitous sex. Only a severely closed community limits this. For instance, Amish children, they, they don't have many of these devices, but they're still seeing it in a sheltered world. In, in secondary ways. So it's invading everywhere. So when we don't realize it. Next point, and I didn't make it actually a point on your outline, but I want to make it. The Christian family has not seen this onslaught coming s- soon enough. They have not stemmed the flow. Their children plead for devices, don't they? The filtering systems cannot address the heart issues. They really can't. You can put a filter on all you want, covenant eyes or whatever. That doesn't touch the heart. And the and these systems can be circumvented anyway. These kids know more how to get around it than you do. Ask your nine-year-old for, you know, how to help you with a computer problem. They'll help you. Okay. Um, and then weak parents. Here's what we just saw on the video. Weak parents are tempted to live vicariously through their children's appearance or even their sexual attractiveness. I want to say that again. I've seen parents 
even claiming to be Christians, but they're very weak, they're tempted to live vicariously through their children's appearance or often their sexual attractiveness. Uh, A show like America's Got Talent, you will see um, 10-year-old girls uh, practically doing stripper dances, taught by their mother, who used to be a stripper. She's not good anymore, so she taught her daughter and won big awards, see lots of attention. See how devastating that is to the children. On top of all this, the big companies market trash. We saw that in that video. Um, That's why we call it corporate pedophilia. I think I misspelled pedophilia. There's an A on the, that should be an A, sorry. And Google and Yahoo are designed to send you more of whatever you're looking at. The last time I gave this talk, a 12-year-old boy, the son of a pastor, came up to me afterwards and he said this point about what Google and Yahoo does was the biggest help to him because what happened to him is he um, saw a pop-up, looked at something pornographic, Google, uh, they recognized what you looked at, sent him more, he got hooked on more and more porn, saw child porn, and then experimented on his five-year-old sister. Yes. And, of course, that went into the courts. That He had to be out of the home. Big, big mess. And God's putting it all together, but he didn't realize how he'd been um, really victimized by them. And I'm not saying that Google and Yahoo, they're all sitting there intentionally knowing how to trap you, but the evil one is your enemy, and these people are just out to make money. So we counsel boys who experiment um, on their vulnerable little sisters, and these little little kids, they don't know how to say no. It's their big brother or sister that they adore. So, And these kids are not warned soon enough, and they're not warned specifically enough. We don't want to scare the bejeebers out of them, but we want to warn them. If anybody touches them in any way that they're uncomfortable with, tell mommy, daddy, somebody in authority. Sometimes mommy and daddy are the problem, so you want to find somebody trusted person and authority, but we really are ignorant. We really are ignorant. All right. Well, let's see. I have spent 20 minutes scaring you. Good. Let's go to implement steps. Practical steps to implement. And again, this isn't meant to scare. This is meant to take us out of our, well, our heads have been in the sand. Um, Sadly, they really have been. Practical steps to implement. So what do we do? Model a positive biblical approach. This may seem like a strange place to start, but I believe it's the best place to start. Show our children, show our teens that God's plan works best. Model in your marriages that true and lasting intimacy flourishes in a commitment to each other before God and these witnesses. While it is heartbreakingly true that divorce is almost as bad among Bible-believing uh, you know, uh, I believe in Christians as those who aren't. That is true. It is still true that young people want permanency. They want to be loved. They want to be understood for their whole lives. They long for permanency. It's not just about sexual fulfillment. Not for most of them. And I would say even for the most crass rapper that you've ever heard, the really disgusting songs like Take me to church. Who's ever heard of take me to church? Raise your hand. Okay. A few of you slowly snuck your hand up three inches in the air. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about um, uh, sex. Not sex in church. Just the how spiritual the, you know, hooking up with this guy is going to be. It's just horrific. Um, But how are we going to fight that? All right? Model um, positive biblical approach. So be quick to point out to your children um, when you see a married couple who show appropriate affection to each other. Oh, look at that old couple. They're holding hands. I think that's sweet. Point it out. All right? And be quick to hug and kiss one another in front of your children. I've had, had a missionary kid tell me, Oh, I've never once seen my mother and father touch, ever. Occasionally they'd say, you know, when they're going on a trip, I love you. But no sign that they care about each other. It made me so sad. I almost cried. But always do it, of course, in gentle, appropriate ways. 
but, but visible to the kids. The message we do not want to send to our youth is this one. Sex before marriage is best. After that, it's straight downhill. That is not true. Surveys show that decades of commitment and communication lead to more sexually fulfilled marriages. The University of Chicago has done a remarkable poll on this. You know? See all that twerking you see on music videos? That's not satisfying, nor is it beautiful. It's not fulfilling. So marriage and commitment and communication still is better. So model that. Again, I'm not saying in inappropriate ways, but appropriate ways. Number two, don't pretend that struggles don't occur, but you might better keep your loudest arguments away from little ears. Okay? Um, that scares them. Um, I just counseled a girl the other day. She and her sister, when her parents started to fight, they would send them upstairs. Well, they just stood at the top of the steps so they could hear what the argument was about. And it scared them because it got pretty violent. That's not good for children. So I'm not saying, you know, like, fight like cats and dogs, but then, you know, be great lovers and that will somehow make up for it. No. Be real, but um, make sure you know your children are learning by what they see. See, they should hear their parents say tender words and they should see their parents touch each other in appropriate ways. Next, second practical step to implement, teach the truth about sex. At the youngest ages, affirm godly character traits above physical ones. This is really hard to explain because it's going to look like works, not grace, but I'm going to explain what I mean. <laughs> okay. Little boys, tell them that, that you really appreciate when they share and obey and work hard and are kind. That should happen even more than being big, strong, and fast, because don't we teach our little boys big, strong, fast? Now, I'm not saying that's wrong. They, they're going to be protectors. God made them be protectors. So that's okay. But make sure that you're really affirming more godly character traits. Um, I mean, the Lord doesn't tell us to be big, strong, and fast. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sharing, obeying, working hard, um, and being kind. Tell the little girls that you're delighted with them when they share, obey, work hard, and are kind. That should happen more than being told they're pretty, cute, sweet, or even smart. Those things are fine, but God doesn't tell us we need to be smart, cute, pretty, and sweet. <laughs> okay? But if that's what you get affirmed for, that's what they want. And these girls on here, who you saw the, um, uh, for those on the tape, I showed um, a YouTube vid video called The Commercialization of, let's see, uh, what was it called? The Commercialization of um, Childhood um, sex or something like that. Um, and it's, it's hypersexualization of children. Well, this is um, the way to counter that. This is the way to counter that. Next, how to teach the truth about sex. Use the Bible, use the word to insist that our sexual parts are good and private, not dirty and funny. Everything in the culture teaches these children what? You know that junior high bathroom humor? It's all funny, and it's dirty. So their parts, they're laughing. They don't, they don't be taught the right word. Um, teach them. Correct and replace wrong ideas. Use words that express respect. When the kids talk gutter language or bathroom humor, give them a better word or phrase. Replace with something good. Don't just say, stop it. No, that's junior high bathroom humor. Well, it is. They won't have any idea what that means. Give them a positive substitute. Even when they touch their genitals, and you'll see little kids, you know, touching their genitals, just gently move their hands to a different place. Um, I, I've even, um, with some kids in my family or in, in my church, I uh, helped a little boy. He was very hyper. He was always holding his, uh, his penis I would just come along and scratch his back and distract him. And then his mother learned that too. Um, because it's, let me tell you something about masturbation and toddlers. 
Some toddlers use masturbation as a form of comfort, similar to thumb sucking. Have any of you ever seen that and experienced it? A little child, one, two, and three years old. When you find them masturbating, that's, that's a comfort thing. That's not sexual in that true sense of the word. It isn't. It's comfort. So I help them. I teach their parents to um, move their hand and give them another way to comfort. There are other things. I mean, remember, this is all tactile. It's their hands comforting. You know, you know, kids, they, some, some children for comfort twist hair. Some suck thumbs, hold, hold their blankie. And some would masturbate. Well, you can, without getting upset or excited, you can just move it to another spot. So we, we don't have to think, oh, my word, my child's a wreck. They're not, all right? But tell them that their private areas are for private, all right? God made them good, not dirty, not for all to see. That's why we cover parts with clothing. That's why we teach little children. Even a teen can be taught how to send the message by their clothing that they respect their bodies as pure and modest. Every culture has a different definition of what's seductive, but our children can be taught. You know, we can say no to baby dolls wearing thongs. Did you know that that's what's out there? The brats, babies wear thongs. Yeah, don't believe me? Go check it out at the store. Monster high dolls. Oh, they're anorexic. And fang, they have fangs and they're anorexic. See, parents can explain to kids why toddlers in tiaras is not worth watching. Who's ever heard of toddlers in tiaras? It's a reality show that's definitely not reality. Um, so they, they just basically turn little five-year-olds into divas and wonder why they turn out to be self-centered 14-year-olds. Hmm. Okay. When the kids see magazines in the checkout line, we parents can comment without being cruel, but we can comment and, and say, you know, that, that's sending the wrong message. That's not healthy. That's not God-honoring. You can say to a child, God made those parts for their spouses, not for everyone to stare at in the checkout line. See, you can teach children a positive message about private parts. Teach them they're good, made by God, they're good, but they're private. They're not dirty, and they're not funny, and they're not to be shared with anyone but their spouse. We think, oh, well, isn't that common sense? No, it's not common, but you can teach it. Next, trust but verify. Now, you might think of that as political, as in from Ronald Reagan, but I have a, an application for it right here. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. So, when it comes to these things with your teens, trust but verify. You think, well, that, wait, that's the contradiction. Uh, no, it isn't. Don't be afraid to interrupt their music, their movies, or their games with questions that invite thoughtful analysis. Use the pause button to ask questions. Now, be careful not to do it in excess. You know, every 20 seconds, boom, hit the pause button. Not helpful. You will ruin everything. But still, model care when you're being entertained. Remember, nothing's neutral. It may seem to be just about greed and money-making, but other motivations are present. You know, screenwriters and playwrights and game-makers all have a purpose. Do you know even animators like to insert little messages to get their kicks? Go on YouTube and put in the word uh, um, messages in Disney movies. Um, now, some of them are exaggerated, some of them aren't there, but some of them are real. And I think it wasn't the screenwriters, it was some animator who was feeling like it would be really fun to, uh, to upset those fundamentalists. And they, they would put things in there that we really don't want our children to see. Um, but anyway, you have to be discerning. And listen to your children's favorite shows or playlists with them. Why? To take all the fun out of their life? No, that's what they think. To teach them discernment. The older they get, well, listen to this. I'm going to put a balance right here on everything I've said. The older they get, the more they should be given freedom to choose. Don't allow a talk like this one you're hearing today to lead you to overprotectiveness. That's a danger, too. I'm counseling a 24-year-old 
whose father made her wear shorts under her skirts from age eight upward. Now she's hyper-modest. She's afraid to go out without everything covered. Uh, she's not quite burka, but she's, I mean, she's really covered because she's afraid her father overprotected her. So there's extremes on both sides of this. The Bible's balanced. We're not balanced. The Bible's balanced. Aim for that. Okay. Next, teens should know what areas they are most worthy of trust in. What is the favorite complaint of teens and younger kids? You don't trust me, right? Well, respond by saying, well, there are areas I don't trust myself. And there are certainly going to be areas I don't trust you. Help them see that weaknesses need to be especially guarded against. So there's areas that they're extremely trustworthy, and there's areas where they're not. Now, again, just because something was your weakness doesn't mean it's theirs, but it could easily happen, (laughs) especially in the area of sex. If you've had a really rough sexual past and if you're a lot of sexual brokenness, you know, you're, you're watching out for it for your kids. So there's some sense in that, but don't become oversensitive. Again, Bible-based, spirit-led balance is what we want. Um, Friends, if if friends lead your child into hypersexuality, then help your child build better uh, relationships, better friendships. You might have to say no to a, a friendship. But again, love the child while speaking the truth about life's challenges. So how do we handle this? You trust, but you verify. I'm not saying it's easy. You're probably going to give examples that are really hard. But I think that's a basic principle. Speak the truth in love. Now, the gospel solution. The heart of this message is what the gospel really has to say. I have five points under this, the gospel solution. Number one, speak God's grace and truth into their heart's desires. The best news is what we've been hearing this whole conference. Jesus' love covers all the sins of all the people who put their trust in him alone. No, he doesn't cover the sins of everyone on the planet, but if those children have made some sort of credible, believable profession of faith, you can say, your sins are covered. And if you have a a child who's hooked on porn, you really want to pour on grace. You want the reasons, as Ian said, and the grace to be bigger than the rules. There will be consequences, of course. You want warnings and consequences, but you want the heart of the message to be Jesus' love covers all our sins. An even better message is that God jealously longs for the spirit he placed to live in us. God wants to be close to you. You can say that to a, someone sexually broken, a child struggling with, with uh, or a, a same-sex attraction. I'm counseling a 14-year-old struggling with same-sex attraction. I use James 4, 5. Do you know God wants to be close to you? James 4, 5 is a wonderful passage to use. He earnestly desires to be close to the spirit he made to dwell in you. Imagine how comforting that is to a lonely person. God really wants to be close to your spirit, to you, the real you. He wants that closeness. It's a beautiful passage. So the forgiveness, the closeness, that's the gospel. He understands your deepest desires. He gives you value and worth and purpose more than your sexuality does. Didn't you love what Sam Alberry said last night? Your sexuality might describe you. It doesn't define you. See, God gives you your value and worth and your purpose far more than your sexuality does. That just describes you. He made you a sexual being on this earth. But it doesn't define you. He designed sex as a tool for pleasing a committed partner, not for fulfilling yourself. Solo sex doesn't fulfill. I'm going to say that again, and we need to say that to our children at pretty young ages. Solo sex doesn't fulfill. Confluent sex, which I mentioned earlier, doesn't satisfy. Temporary relationships don't. 
See? And getting attention for your sex appeal makes no one deeply happy and content for very long. Those little models who are getting lots of attention for their fan dances and their booty waving and their pelvic thrusts, and that's exactly what they're taught to do, they're not happy and content for long. I'm willing to say Taylor Swift, you all know her, and saw her rapid decline um, deeply. She's not happy, I am sure. There is not commitment there. See, we, and when the children look to that, help them to see. There's not deep, deep relationship with God there. That is taking a good gift from God and making it soiled and dirty. Next, make sure your home is grace-based, not performance-based. I'm not saying performance isn't important. I'm saying not performance-based. A hypersexualized child needs to be convinced they are loved for who they are and not for how well they perform. These children need to be taught by word and by example in the home and in the church that Jesus came to bring freedom from destructive and dirty habits. Some of these young people have been jumping into bed with anybody for quite a while. They really have, some very young ones. See. God brings freedom in two ways. When we believe he paid for all our sins, past, present, and future, that's freeing. And he's also bringing freedom by equipping us to resist bad sexual habits now. Theologians call that the already and the not yet. So what is greatly hopeful is when you bring grace into your home, and that grace is what justification means, but also there's progressive sanctification. I'll get to that. See, God's love is unconditional as to justification. Did you hear me say that? God's love is unconditional as to justification. Our love for our struggling children has to be just as unconditional. But God's love has a conditional aspect to it, too. Did you hear me say that? God's love has a conditional aspect. What What do you mean? He tells us to sow to please the Spirit. Please the Spirit. Wait a minute. He's already pleased. Yes, as to your justification. But if he tells us to sow to please the Spirit, that means there are times when we fall into those pervasive sins that he's not as pleased. He tells us to remain in his love. That's in Jude 21. He tells us to not grieve the Holy Spirit. So you can tell a child not to grieve the Holy Spirit. You tell them, oh, the Holy Spirit will never leave you. You're never kicked out of the family. He loves you forever, but we can still grieve him. See, God is our judge and our father. Both are, they don't contradict each other. They're two sides of the same coin. It's a little hard, I admit, in a practical way to tease these apart. But scripture teaches both. It does not contradict itself. See, that describes our progress in holiness and obedience. Our sexually broken children, and many of us grown-ups that have sexual brokenness too, we all need the promise that he'll love us forever, no matter how often we fall into sin. Did you hear that? I'm counseling a woman who just, she gets so lonely weekends when her kids are with their father that she goes, jumps into bed with this old boyfriend. She just shows up at his house, climbs into bed, has sex. She can't understand why she does this weekend after weekend. She's a true believer. I know you're looking at me wide-eyed saying, hmm, I think she is. This is a habit she never learned how to deal with biblically. But what I want to say is, he will love us forever no matter how often we fall into sin while at the same time. Did you hear that? While at the same time. We have to be aware that we can grieve, grieve him with our rejection of his ways. Doesn't kick us out of his family. In one sense, he doesn't love us less, but we can grieve him. You need to know there are consequences. Lots of verses in the Bible. In fact, if anybody wants to see a motivation chart that I have designed, how God motivates his children with the good news and the bad, with the indicative and the imperative, and all the verses that support both, let me know. Um, Give me your uh, contact information, and I'll email it to you. It's a work in progress, but I'm trying and working one-on-one with a lot of struggling people. How? to have that whole biblical balance. The good news and the bad news balanced every moment for every person. All right. 
Next, the gospel always promises, but it sometimes threatens. It invites us to embrace Christ's permanency while warning us of the possibility of drifting or falling. Now, we know we can never lose our salvation. The primary message is always the work of Christ on the cross. But believers are gently guided to deny self every day and follow him. The path for our sexually entrapped children is the same as for us adults. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Satan cannot snatch even the most sexually habituated believer from God's hands. That woman I'm counseling who jumps into bed every weekend. (laughs) Um, Nobody can snatch her. Satan cannot snatch her from God's hands. But she needs to learn a whole lot about personal discipline and growth and how to put herself in a situation. How to let the church... She's not going to church enough and getting connected, so she has some really godly things to do on weekends and isn't so lonely. See, there's some put-off, put-ons there that will be really helpful, and I'm trying to teach her. All right? So Satan cannot snatch even the most sexually habituated believer from God's hands. Next. Confession and repentance are not the identical thing. Hmm, think about that for a while. Is that biblical? Invite your children and model this yourself, the pattern of admitting to God when you fail and asking for help to change. See, confession in the minds of many is saying, oh, I did it again. Oh, man, what's wrong with me? What is wrong with you? That's what, that's what these kids tell me. My parents keep saying, what's wrong with you? Okay. But it doesn't include steps to turn in a new direction. Repentance is a turn in a new direction. You know, repentance might be giving up your device for a period of time. Repentance might be ending a relationship that's wrong. See, confession just says how awful your behavior is, but it doesn't include the harder step of cutting off the offending part. Sometimes we have to cut off an offending part. You've seen somebody caught in an emotional relationship? They have to be taken out of that environment totally. Cut it off. I can tell by your look in your eyes that I have created a lot of questions, but that's okay. Moving on. Last point under the gospel solution. God loves your children far more than you do. I'm going to say that again. God loves your children far more than you do. Even the most broken ones, even those who rejected their upbringing, everything you believe in covenant breakers, whatever label you want for them, God loves them more than you do. Trust him for whatever they struggle with, whether it's sexual or not. Those young people are on a journey. Now you do the best you can, and you leave the results up to him. No matter how hooked they may be, there is hope, and there is power in the work of the triune God. So whatever you're going through, whatever your children are going through, however sexually broken you think they might be, or maybe one of your counselees, somebody you truly care about, a niece, a nephew, you point them to, you give them the gospel, plain and clear, live it out, and trust God for the results. I want you to go in peace. There are 10 minutes left for questions. Wow. That's amazing. Um, if somebody has a question, I will um, repeat it for the tape. Um, so we, we actually have, well, I think, don't we have to quarter up? We have 10 minutes. Wow. That's what happens when you talk fast. All right. Somebody have a comment or a question in the back. Say it loud, and I'll repeat it for the mic. I think that's you with the orange shirt. Yes, you. Teenage niece constantly on YouTube.
uh, with some, some biblical alternatives, how to engage her. Very good question. First of all, YouTube doesn't really have a, uh, a really good filter. They're trying to come out with filters for YouTube, but they're pretty useless. Um, when I did my research for this talk, and I just typed in hyper, um, hypersexualization of children, child porn came up about fourth on the list. Real child porn. Yeah. So there's no filter. So um, whatever your niece is looking at, it recognizes, YouTube does this too, it recognizes what she likes, what her tastes are, and feeds her more. Um, there are some alternatives, but if her heart doesn't want them, if she's really, really craving that, it's going to be very hard. You're going to, she needs to be, in a sense, um, <laughs> cold turkey off of that on some of these devices for just a period of time, and then she needs to be given really good things to look at. There are, there are wonderful, um, there's music, movies, but she will say they're not nearly as good as what the world does. Well, that's too bad. Um, she has bad taste. She might like the, you know, the, the rhythms, but, but she's being poisoned. So you do have to reason with her. And then also um, do this. Um, find out other kids who are stronger, what music they watch, what, you know, what they fill their minds with, and, and try to get her together with those kids. And remember, they want relationship. They want friendship. And encourage those other kids to, to give her some good alternatives. And if she can't find it in church or the youth group, you know, that's supposed to be happening there. And sometimes the worst stuff happens there, but that's where it's supposed to be happening. So you're going to have to pray on that and work. But most of all, talk to her heart. Talk honestly to her how you overcome your worst habits. The most helpful thing I do for any counselee, without breaking you know, boundaries, without saying too much, is I explain how God helps me with my worst habits, my besetting sins, and the tools I use. And the tools that others have used, but they're common tools. Really, it's it's um, putting off, putting on, replacing um, destructive things with beautiful things. Find the better music, the better um, the better movies. But you are going to have to make some hard decisions. You know, you're not going to be able to just say, "I know you're going to want to change this," but she might be so old that she's going to resist it, and there's nothing you can do. Then you just pray. And look for opportunities to love her and reach her. But you can't hold her. How old is she? She's 14. Well, she's, yeah. You can still, you know, 14-year-olds usually aren't that hardened. All right, tell you what. Let's continue this conversation afterwards. But I know other people have some good questions. You, back there. Yes. The question is, and she's thanking me for talking about the gal who, professing believer, who um, many, many weekends jumps in bed with her ex-boyfriend. This is a foster mother speaking. She works with high-risk girls. She told me the other day, she goes, oh, this guy on Facebook, I took myself off Facebook for four years, three years ago. Piece of advice, take yourself on, off Facebook sometimes, <laughs> yes. I actually just put myself back on it. We don't want to hear that. Just tell us the story. <laughs> Okay, yes. This Facebook relationships. We're talking about confluent love here. Yes. Yeah. So this was uh, not just a, not actually a question, it's a comment that this foster mother out here is seeing this every day in every way. These are people who crave relationship permanency, but they'll take temporary because they're desperate. We want to show them the permanency of a true relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Other comment or questions right up here. Sure, quick question. Uh, at what with phones having access to the internet, at what age would you recommend allowing your child to have a cell phone? At what age would I allow my child to have a cell phone? <laughs> Someone shouted out, never. Um, you know, we like rules. We want boundaries that makes us feel better. Um, there are some who shouldn't have it for a long, long time. They're, they're this easily habituated. They, they're, they're not compliant. They don't care what you think anyway, and you really have to watch them like a hawk. Then you'll have a compliant child who's not easily habituated, you know, could really have it at a younger age. I don't want to give uh, a nice, neat, handy, man-made rule here. Um, remember, it all happened. We started giving our children these phones for safety, right? So that when they needed us, they could call us. Yeah, that's how I got one. So if I'm stuck on the side of the road, I can call for help. Well, now we're all addicted to our device. It substitutes, by the way, for 30 different things in your life. Thought I'd let you know. We counted them. Um, so it is really hard. But that's going to be something I think you should pray about. Talk to your, your wife, your elders. You know, and your church might have a lot of wisdom on that. That depends on the child. And it certainly needs to be very closely monitored because these children know way more than you know. They are excellent at hiding. I heard a case yesterday about a 15-year-old boy who is the model of the church. He speaks to the youth group on purity. And he goes home and is hooked on porn on a stolen cell phone. By the way, if you don't give him one, you know, yeah, he stole one. So, hooked on porn with a stolen phone, talks in youth group about the importance of purity. Now, I'm pretty sure he's unhappy about that level of hypocrisy, but God's got to convict the heart. Uh, just in case of honesty here, I was such a hypocrite as a teenager that my parents, my father was a Sunday school superintendent, he thought I was just pure as the wind-driven snow, and he made me the teacher of the 14-year-olds. So I was 16, 14. Would you ever put a 16-year-old to teach? No, they were out of their minds. And um, <laughs> I started Sunday school the first 10 minutes uh, telling those girls about the party last night. I'm so sad when you go back. You know, I just hope they didn't spend the rest of their life talking about hypocrites in church. But, I mean, you can live in hypocrisy for a while. But when the Spirit of God comes, that changes. So I, I don't have a formula for you, Alan. Bet somebody else in here, find Alan and tell him what works. But, um, you know, it is just, you know, because as soon as you say an age, then, then something's going to happen. So, another comment or question. We have two minutes left. All right, two minutes left. We broke a record here. <laughs> Put that in your evaluation. <laughs> we finished early. Thank you very much. Copyright 2016, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.